What's up, guys? Ryan Horn here, and welcome to the Extraordinary Man Podcast. This is the one and only podcast specifically designed to help married businessmen create more profit and purpose in their business without sacrificing their family, health, or marriage in the process. Each week, I interview some of the world's most extraordinary men, including seven- and eight-figure entrepreneurs, elite athletes, best-selling authors, and world-class speakers. Today, I'm going to be interviewing Jason Romano. Jason is the director of media with Sports Spectrum and the host of the popular Sports Spectrum podcast. For 17 years, he was an Emmy Award-winning producer and senior manager at ESPN. He has created and produced content for shows such as SportsCenter, Monday Night Football, Mike and Mike in the Morning, Sunday NFL Countdown, College Game Day, NFL Live, MLB's All-Star Game, and many more. Jason, welcome to the Extraordinary Man podcast. So awesome to have you here. How are you doing today? Hey, Ryan. I'm doing great, buddy. Thanks for having me on your show. Absolutely. So let's dive into your backstory. We love diving into people's backstories here on the Extraordinary Man podcast. So I mentioned in your bio, you worked at ESPN for 17 years. You're now with Sport Spectrum. So take us back. How did all of that happen? Uh, we need about five hours for that, but I'll <laughs> give you the quick, quick version. I grew up as a as a kid loving sports. Uh, when I realized I wasn't going to be a professional athlete, you know, I went to uh, college to be the next best thing, which was to talk about sports and broadcast sports. And I fell in love with radio initially. And um, coming out of college, I got a job in local radio in my hometown of Albany, New York. And I was working as a, as a news talk radio show producer and I uh, loved it, got my start there, but had this yearning and desire, as I always did, to do something in sports. I uh, wasn't sure if I could ever accomplish that, but uh, it's just it was just an amazing opportunity when ESPN happened and I got this job in the year 2000, so 22 years ago, to start a job there. And I uh, moved here to Connecticut from New York. And uh, like you said in the bio, I got to work on some amazing shows and do some incredible things while at ESPN. Uh, but the backstory always stems back to sports. Um, faith is a big part of my life now. It was not for the first 27 years of my life. So around that time, if, if faith wasn't a big part, I was all encompassed in my job. I told people many times that you know my God for 27 years was sports. Especially when I got a job in sports, that definitely became my God. ESPN, you know, kind of replaced anything that I cared about as far as identity goes. So, you know, the backstory there is just sports. It's it's a sports family that I grew up in. My dad loves sports, still does to this day. My grandfather loves sports. Uh, you know, until he passed in 2007, he was watching sports every day, and we would always talk about it on the phone. So it was it was a you know a big part of my life, a big part of my my two brothers' lives. And and, you know, I was the one, I guess, the fortunate one who ended up turning that into a career for so many years. And um, I'm, I'm thankful for it. I really am. You know, do I wish I could have been a Christian and had more of a purpose from a faith perspective at a younger age? Sure. But my plan and my story is what God had had done with it, you know, and it didn't really take shape from a faith perspective until I was, you know, 27 years old, 28 years old, uh, about 20 years ago. So that's really the backstory, especially how I got to ESPN, because that was a dream job, Ryan. I mean, it was a job that you would, you know, when you're telling me that I could get paid to watch sports and cover sports, I would have signed up for that anywhere. And the fact that I got to sign up for it and be a part of ESPN, the worldwide leader in sports, it was just crazy. So what was it like working at ESPN? Did you just have to pinch yourself every day when you walked into work? 
In some ways, yes. I mean, listen, in 17 years is a long time. You're not having a, you know, a pinch me, this is amazing moment every single day, but you're having quite a few of them every single year. I'll tell you that much. And this goes from my first year there in 2000, when I started working on this little tiny radio show at the time called Mike and Mike in the morning. And that's, you know, how I got my start in, in radio at ESPN. And then you get to meet some of your heroes along the way and you get to have these moments when you're walking through the hallway and there's LeBron James and there's LaDainian Tomlinson and you're like, where do I work again? Like what's happening here? And you know, so those are the pinch me moments, but there were days that weren't the best days, but the majority of my time there, uh, especially even at the end, the last couple of years, you know, I, I really started to appreciate the work I got to do every day and the work that I knew so many other people would want to do. I was one of the few that got to do it. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I, it felt like, you know, it didn't feel like I was going to work every day. Let's put it that way. It, it really didn't. Because when you're going to work and again, you're being paid to watch sports and talk about sports and meet some of the athletes that you, you know, admired. And, you know, there is pressure though, when you're working at a place like ESPN to really do good work. Uh, it felt like that. I can understand from a from a sports perspective, when you have, you know, a quarterback or a running back and then they draft someone and they come up behind you and you're doing the best to prevent them from taking your job. I definitely understand that. You know, I had people come up that I trained and then ended up being my boss. And so those are moments when you're kind of humbled a little bit, but at the same time, you're remembering that you still have a job and you're still being paid and you still get to go to work every day and talk about sports. So then you kind of just shake it all off and realize what a blessing it was to be there. Incredible. So I'm sure you already mentioned, I'm sure you have lots of amazing stories, but you could, could you share maybe just one or two stories from ESPN that stand out to you for you know, whatever you want? Maybe it was funny, unexpected, just something awesome. Yeah. I think, you know, the day I got to meet Tony Dungy, and I know you heard a little bit of the story already because um, I shared it recently at a conference, but the day I got to meet Coach Dungy and spend some time with him was really a game changer because he showed me what it meant to be a follower of Christ in the workplace. So that was a big one. That was 2000 and I want to say 2010. Uh, right around that same time was a day I got to spend with Drew Brees, Super Bowl MVP at the time, obviously Hall of Fame quarterback, future Hall of Fame quarterback. And you know he came to ESPN to promote his book. And that was also the day that LeBron James made the first decision that he made in his career by choosing to go to the Miami Heat and leaving Cleveland. And so, you know, that was a memorable day because it was probably the longest day I ever worked at ESPN. Like I came in at like seven or eight in the morning and stayed till like midnight because we had Drew Brees in the office and then we had the LeBron James story to cover, you know, in the evening. So that was a really long day, but a very memorable day for sure. I also remember probably somewhere in the 2003 range when I was just getting ready to finish up the radio side of my journey at ESPN as a producer, and we were getting ready to go um, into 2004, and I had just gotten a new job and or a new position within ESPN as a talent producer. And that first day as a talent producer, it was like the end of 2003. Uh, I remember not knowing what I was doing and it felt weird because it's been three years, you know, that I have been at ESPN and suddenly I'm in a new job and, you know, I'm kind of learning on the fly. You know, there wasn't a ton, there was training on some levels for certain jobs, but this job was, you know, you're working on a show called Outside the Lines and they need guests that day. And I've not booked a guest on their show. And it's like, well, we need guests. Here's some numbers, here's some people, but we need you to do, and it was kind of being thrown to the fire. And so that day stands out just because, it was nine years that I was a talent producer. And that 
time as a talent producer, which started in 03, really catapulted me into the connections that I made, understanding how the intricacies of all the different shows at ESPN work, meeting all of the different people that I got to meet at ESPN on all of these different shows, friends that I still talk to to this day, people who are on air at that time who are still on air at ESPN, who I'm still connected with through social media. So those are a few days for sure. And I think, you know, when you think about it, 17 years, that's a lot of days, Ryan. That's a lot of days. <laughs> that is a lot of days for sure. So I would love to know, what would you say were some of the biggest lessons that you learned from your 17 years at ESPN? Well, the Dungy Day was one of them, uh, and we'll get to that in a second. But I think, first of all, hard work pays off, and it's the most cliche thing, obviously. But when you're working at a place where everybody there is an all-star in many ways. You don't get to ESPN unless you're really good at what you do. Uh, they can, you know, they'll get a thousand resumes for a job and hire that one person. So, you know, everybody there is is really good at what they do. And so hard work pays off, perseverance pays off, you know, staying the course. You know, I think a big thing is is not getting so focused on how much money you're making or, you know, what your title or your status is. And I do think that that is a a natural thing that all of us struggle with. And I know it's something I struggled with, you know, in 2006, I think it was, or 2007, I got bypassed for a, a manager job. And then in 2008, got bypassed again and thought, man, I, who am I? My worth and my value? I mean, do they even see that I can be somebody that can contribute here? And that was a real kind of eye opener for me. And I was trying to climb the corporate ladder just like everybody else. And then I got humbled really fast because I thought I was all that and thought I was ready to get this job in 2008 and be a manager. And then I was bypassed for the person that I, I mentioned earlier that I actually helped train. Uh, that person turned out to be the best boss I've ever had. So I'm grateful. Um, and she was amazing, Carol uh, Veroniak, who's still my friend today. But that was humbling in 2008 to be bypassed for a job that you felt like you were the most qualified for, but they went a different direction. And so I think I finding my identity not in work was really hard. And I think the lesson I learned, especially in that 08 year, was understanding that it's it's not about the people, or I'm sorry, it's not about the title that you're trying to climb and achieve. It's about the people that you work with. It's about serving those that are right there. It's about being a great teammate. It's about focusing on the task at hand that day. You can look ahead, but don't look too far ahead. You know, that's biblical too. Jesus says, worry about today because tomorrow has enough trouble of its own. So worry about today. And, you know, I worried about tomorrow a lot more than I should have been and was not focused as much as I should have been on today. So that's a great lesson, I think, you know, that I learned for the hard way for a few years there. Yeah, lots of great lessons there. And so you mentioned Tony Dungy again and, and identity. So let's dive into that because in 2010, when he was at ESPN, like you said, you mentioned at a, a conference I heard you speak at recently, you talked about this. And I think it's so important because identity is very important. And a lot of people have the wrong identity first. Yeah. So Coach Dungy comes to ESPN. Uh, I mentioned I was a talent booker. So I was booking him to come to ESPN and spending the day with him and he brought his assistant Jessica with him and you know coach was on Mike and Mike in the morning as his first show and then we found ourselves just hanging out sort of in a conference room green room area you know for a few minutes waiting for the next show and coach Dungy is you know as gentle and uh, amazing as you would imagine when you meet him in person and spending a day alone with him and you know a couple of his friends uh, and colleagues was wonderful 
And I was excited to ask him a bunch of questions about his faith and about, you know, his job, you know, at NBC and all of the great things he had done as a coach. And before I could even start peppering him with questions, he asked me a question that changed my life forever. He said, Jason, I understand you're a believer, a follower in Christ, and that's amazing. He said, um, but I, I would love to ask you, how do you live that faith out here at ESPN? And I'd never been asked that question. You know, I've been nine years into my faith journey at that point, but I was still learning about who Christ was, and I certainly was learning about identity. And at that time, I would have told you I was a Christian, Ryan, but most likely what I was, was I was identified as an ESPN employee first. And so Coach Dungy is asking me how I'm living out my faith, and I didn't have a good answer for him. I, I said, I don't, I don't even think I can do that here at ESPN because I'm hired to be a producer. What does that even mean to, to live out your faith? And he was about to jump in and say something, but before he could, Jessica, who is his assistant you know, publicist on this book, jumps in front of Coach Dungy and looks at me. And Jessica and I had worked on a few projects together, so she knew that she had the, I guess, the permission to do that and looked at me and just said, Jason, you don't get it. You don't get what Coach is asking you, you here. And I said, well, what do I want to get? She goes, look at where you work. Look at the mission field that ESPN provides. Look at the fact that there's 5,000 people or whatever it is every single day that come to work and you get a chance to be salt and light to those people every single day here. Like, What an opportunity. What an unbelievable moment for you to, to understand that you can live out your faith here. She goes, until God calls you away, you're to bloom where you're planted right here at ESPN. And, and I had mentioned maybe that God had to call me away in order for me to live out my faith in the workplace and go work for a church or a nonprofit or something. And she's like, no, you don't understand. God might call you away someday, but until you do, this is where you need to be. goes back to that lesson I just mentioned earlier to make sure today is the day. You know, Bible talks about today is the day of salvation. Today is the day, not tomorrow, not yesterday. And so Jessica really was making a point that I was to bloom where I was planted right there that day at ESPN. But what happened, Ryan, Going forward, and it took a little while to really grasp this, but Coach Dungy was the one that really started it. I mentioned to you that I was identified as an ESPN producer more than anything else at that point. I think I even bought into that. But after that day and certainly a few months and maybe even a year or two going by, I began to understand what identity and identification in Christ was about. And so as I started to navigate what it was like to live my faith out in the workplace, I realized that I went from being an ESPN producer who happened to be a Christian to being a Christian who happened to be everything else, whether it was an ESPN producer, a husband, a dad, a friend. My identity had to be rooted in Christ. It had to start with Jesus. It had to start with who he says I am. And then after that comes everything else. And again, I mean, that's a, there's another Bible verse in Matthew 6 where Jesus talks about seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. There's your identity right there. Jesus is saying, seek the kingdom first. Seek the kingdom first. I was not seeking the kingdom first. I was seeking Jason's kingdom first. But after Coach Dungy comes that day, after Jessica says what she says, suddenly I started to understand that it was about the kingdom first and that I could be a Christian everywhere I went. I was a Christian everywhere I went. So when I went to work, I could live out my faith by living out the way that I talked to people, the way that I treated them, the way that I served them, you know, the way that I did my work and did it well. So that was 
I think a big moment for me in life, not just as an employee of ESPN, to this day, even though I'm not there anymore, I still take that with me, that I am a follower of Christ first who happens to be whatever you want to label me, but follower of Christ has to come first. Yeah, that's amazing. Identity is so important. And uh, if you have ESPN first, what happens if you get fired from ESPN, right? And a lot of athletes, of course, you know, when they retire, they struggle a lot because their main identity was them as an athlete, right? So yeah, really, really good stuff. And uh, something else you mentioned too, that I want to touch on, uh, because I struggle with this for a long time as well is, well, how do you bring your faith into your work, right? How do I bring my faith into my business? But you don't have to be a pastor in order to have a ministry, right? We all have a ministry. So you did end up leaving ESPN in 2017. They're at Sports Spectrum now. So can you tell us kind of what that process was like and why you left and what you do now? Yeah, it wasn't easy. Uh, I left on my own recognizance, if you will, or I left, I didn't, I didn't get fired from ESPN. I chose to, to walk away from there, but I really believe God had called me out of ESPN into the next season of life. Uh, it was not easy. There was a lot of growing pains. There was a lot of prayer. There was a lot of um, uncomfortable moments. It was a leap of faith. That's not a cliche. It literally was that because, you know, when I was presented with the opportunity to leave ESPN and go to Sports Spectrum, you know, that opportunity wasn't in the eyes of the world a better opportunity for a variety of reasons. Number one being pay. You know, I took a 40% pay cut. Number two being, you know, the clout that comes with working at an ESPN. And number three being, I went from leaving an office in a place where you could presumably grow and, you know, increase your own stature and, you know, work with fellow people, yet all the resources at your beckoning call to now being much different. You know, I'm working from home, working by myself. Uh, I'm helping to grow a very small sports and faith media ministry. Uh, but there was something exciting about that. And there was something else that I really felt like was probably the biggest reason, which is I just felt like God was steering me right here towards sports spectrum. And if God is calling me to do something and I don't obey him, then I'm basically doing what I want to do. And my my initial thought on all this when I was presented with the opportunity to leave, even though it sounded amazing, was to not do it because it it didn't, I, I don't know, it just, it wasn't as much money and there was like financial issues and it just didn't make sense. But then my heart kept stirring God's, in praying to God, I kept feeling like he was, he was leading me there. And I, if that's the case, um, I have to at least step through those doors and be obedient to what I thought was God's voice directing me. Now, I always tell people that when you leave and you're wondering if it's God's plan to do something like this, I'm usually one of those people that say that you can't really know God's plan until you look back. You just got to kind of step out in obedience and see if it's God's plan. And I'm thankful to tell you five years later, it has been God's plan. But I didn't know that when I first left ESPN. I presumed I did. I thought I did. But I remember telling my wife point blank, listen, if this is from God, the doors will continue to stay open. If it's not, the door will shut very quickly. And I think having that attitude and that mindset helped me make this leap from ESPN to Sports Spectrum and just walk in obedience and knowing that God, if he didn't want me here at Sports Spectrum, would shut the door quickly. And in five years, it's the door's 
the doors continued to stay open. Um, and I'm grateful for that. I love the work that I'm doing. Uh, Sports Spectrum is a media company that's been around since 1985 with the sole goal to bring people to, uh, to Christ through the stories of sports. And, you know, my faith had grown and is growing still to this day, but at the time was growing to the point where that sounded like an amazing opportunity to do more purposeful work in my life, to go from success at ESPN to significance with Sports Spectrum. And I still believe that's my calling to this day. I don't know how much longer I have with Sports Spectrum. Maybe it'll be till my retire. Maybe it's another year. I don't know. I don't worry about that anymore. I just know right now, today, God has called me to be the best I can be as the director of media with Sports Spectrum. You know, to host a podcast that I host, to oversee a team of three or four, to love and serve right where I am, and to do the very best work I can do to help grow Sports Spectrum. And hopefully, as many people as possible will know about it, will hear about it, will listen, and then will share with others the work that we're doing. And if it helps one person, and I know it's helped a lot more, but if it helps one person, um, which is the same with the two books that I wrote. If it helps one person, then that's all that matters. And I've had many people tell me that their faith has grown because of the shows and the content that we produce every day. And that's what's worth it all. It's worth it all. And we get to keep Jesus in the sports conversation. That to me is the single greatest honor that we have in the job that I get to do right now. Amen. Yeah, I, I absolutely love seeing famous coaches or or sports figures on the Sports Spectrum podcast or in the Sports Spectrum magazine. Uh, it's really, really cool uh, because lots of times you don't know those stories. So thank you for the work that you're doing. And a couple of things that you said that really stood out to me, first of all, going from success to significance mm-hmm. and also that logically didn't make sense for you, right? It was It was a struggle. It wasn't just like, Uh, I feel like God's telling me to do it. So boom, I'm just going to go do it and everything's fine. And it is a struggle sometimes, but walking in obedience as a Christian is really important. So what would you say to someone that's struggling to be obedient to what they feel like God's calling them to do? I would say pray about it. Number one, I would also say before you're trying to get out or find what God's call is, wherever you are right now, be great at it. Be great at it. Um, if you're a, if you're working in a supermarket, wondering why I'm, you know, bagging groceries, and be great at bagging groceries. Like God's put you there for a reason, and it's hard to like find, you know, significance in your job if you're working at a, a supermarket in that role. You're just there for, you know, a paycheck or whatever. But look at it differently. Look at it as an opportunity to be salt and light to someone each and every day to serve. And then I think. The other thing I would say, and something I learned at ESPN when I was there, as I was thinking about leaving, was to be actively patient. There's a big difference between being actively patient and passively patient. You know, God calls all of us to be patient because that's one of the fruits of the Spirit, to be patient in everything we're doing because His plan is perfect. And His plan often requires us to be patient because our plan, we want it and we want it now. But what I understood and learned was active patience means we can sit and, and wait on God to open up a door, to move, to present us with an opportunity. But let's be active in that. Let's just not sit on our butts and say, okay, God, show me a sign here. Like go out, start to network, start to meet people, connect with people on social media, listen to interviews, listen to podcasts, read books. Just don't sit and be passive while you're waiting on God's plan for your life to come through. Be active in it. Go out. Apply for jobs, meet people, find the person that's doing the job that you want to do someday and try to connect with that person. Most people, not everybody, but most people 
will make themselves available on some level and are reachable on some level through social media than there ever has been in the past. And so if you want to do something in a specific job area, find someone that's doing it and reach out to them. That's being actively patient. And if they don't respond, then you move on to the next thing. But being actively patient versus passively patient, that's a big one. Yeah, that's huge. Actively patient. I, I love that phrase and, and how you said it and bloom where you're planted, right? You know, maybe God is using where you're at right now. Uh, he's going to use it for your next stage, right? I'm sure there's lots and lots of skills and connections that you got from ESPN that you're now using at Sports Spectrum, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. No doubt. Yep. So God, God has it all planned out. So sometimes it's, tough. sometimes it's tough when we're in that season, but uh, really good advice. So you did write a couple of books. You mentioned that earlier. The first one was Live to Forgive. Could you share just a little bit about why you wrote it and what's it about? Yeah, it has nothing to do with sports. Although the reason behind my love of sports stems from what this book starts with, which is being a little kid, watching sports, going to sporting events with my dad. He was the biggest sports fan and still is the biggest sports fan I know. Unfortunately, my dad got addicted to alcohol and exuded a, a very uh, unhealthy and difficult behavior towards everyone in his life, including his kids, because of alcohol. And the very thing that brought us together or should have brought us together, which is sports, actually ended up tearing us apart. And um, I went through a 40-year journey of a roller coaster up and down relationship with my dad that was mainly strained due to his drinking. And I had a lot of bitterness and a lot of anger. And finally in 2013, nine years ago, I came to a point where I made the choice to forgive my father for all the pain that he had caused our family. And three years later, I was presented with an opportunity to write a book about it. I had shared my story a little bit at a church here in Connecticut. Someone heard it and said, you know, you need to write a book. This could really help a lot of people. I've never written a book. I had no desire to write a book. I still don't like writing and don't want to write any more books unless God tells me I have to, which then I will. But Live to Forgive was birthed out of this very personal story and journey of walking through a 40-year broken relationship with my alcoholic father. And the, the premise of the book is 70% narrative and just letting people know some of the things that I went through and walked through. But really, I wanted it to be application as well. And 30% of the book is, is application. There's questions to ponder. And it's really designed to help people who are stuck in a pretty difficult place in forgiving someone who hurt them and helping them and letting them know that they're not alone and that there is freedom on the other side of forgiveness. And so that became, and still is to this day, Ryan, the most important thing I think I've ever done from a work perspective is, the, is that first book. Uh, because I, I didn't realize how many people are struggling with forgiveness. And I didn't realize how many people have seen the beauty of forgiveness help them find freedom in their life. And uh, yeah, it, to me, the, I, I just spoke about this at a church a couple of days ago and uh, met a, a bunch of people afterwards and signed a few books or whatever. But I realized Live to Forgive will be, I think, my most important thing I ever work on or produce in my life. That could change, uh, but I think you know when I die, whenever that will be, I hope people will still pick up Live to Forgive and see the story that I went through and be encouraged and helped by it. So that's what that book's about. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely something forgiveness that a lot of people struggle with. So that's amazing that you wrote a book on it and we're open and honest about that because I'm sure that was not easy. 
Dang no, up. and that's the key, Ryan, being open and honest, right? I mean, I could have sugarcoated it and masked it a little bit, made it sound like it wasn't as bad as it was. But I, you know, started writing it and I talked to my father and I said, listen, I'm going to write this book, going to present you as the bad guy in the book. Uh, my father and I have since reconciled and, and we're doing okay together. But I said, I want to be as open and honest about what I went through and about what you went through. And he said, listen, Jason, if it can help one person, you need to write it and be as raw and as real as you can be. And so when you read the book, and it's not a long read, it's probably 140 pages or so, but it's as raw and authentic of a recollection of my story and my journey with my father that I can think about. And uh, I wanted it to be that way intentionally because I want people to feel the pain and feel the, and, you know, uh, evaluate the trauma and go through the, the wounds that need to be transformed and transferred over and then come into a place where they can hopefully forgive the person who's hurt them. And because uh, I saw freedom on the other side of forgiveness. So it will be and continues to be, as I said, the, the most important thing probably I'll ever do. Yeah, absolutely. That's amazing that you were able to get your dad's blessing on writing it. And like you said, not sugarcoating it. We want to be as open and honest as possible if we're going to write about such a difficult topic. It's scary to be vulnerable about really anything. But when you put yourself out there, like you said, you have people all the time coming up to you and thanking you because they, they have the same thing going on. So absolutely. Yep. All right. So you wrote another book called The Uniform of Leadership Lessons on True Success from My ESPN Life. What's that book about? And could you share maybe a few gold nuggets from that one? Yeah. So that is the book I thought if I was ever going to write a book, that would be the book that I would write because it was fun and it was stories. And it was probably the most common question that I get asked from people is, what was your time like at ESPN? as a producer. And so I would tell them and I would share stories and I thought, okay, if I'm going to write a second book, I can't like do live to forgive part two. It's just not going to be the case. So what if we did an ESPN book that was focused on leadership lessons that I learned from all the different people I came in touch with at ESPN. And so there was a lot of, you know, famous people that are featured in this, in the book, Drew Brees, Tony Dungy, Daryl Strawberry, among others. But then there's the people like Tammy, who is the cafeteria cashier and one of the greatest leaders at ESPN that I've ever known. And to think about Tammy, everybody knows a Tammy in their life. They know the cafe, the cafeteria cashier, or that person who just grinds every single day and is super nice and super encouraging. Not everybody knows a Tony Dungy or gets to spend a day with Tony Dungy or Drew Brees or Daryl Strawberry but everybody has a Tammy in their life. So I wanted this book to be a mixture of famous people, sure, and the experiences that I had there, but also some of the people that were really important to me in my journey at ESPN behind the scenes. A couple of producers I mentioned in there, people like my friends Carol and Lisa, my friend Gabe, and then I, I mentioned Tammy, people behind the scenes as well as the people who are in front of the camera that you would know. And that's what I wrote about. And I really believe it's written for coaches, it's written for leaders, teachers, anybody that's trying to be a better leader and grow in their leadership. This book is written specifically for those people. I think anybody that reads it will be encouraged. If you're a sports fan, you will definitely enjoy this book. But it's written in a way to go through it almost like a devotional where you can go through it with your team and there's questions to ponder at the end of each chapter. And uh, you know, it's it's all about what does it look like to wear the uniform of leadership properly? And all of us as leaders often wake up and have to decide every single day, how are we going to wear that uniform each day? And a lot of times we put the uniform on backwards because when you see a uniform in a sports event, the name on the back of the jersey is my name and the name on the front is the team name. But often we put that jersey on backwards and we start playing for ourselves first 
instead of for the team, instead of for others, and instead of for God. And so that's the idea of what the uniform of leadership is. And, you know, I have a lot of amazing stories in my time there. And I tried to make sure that, you know, I could I could share those in a book form that would hopefully help a lot of people on their journeys. Sounds like an incredible book for sure. So my next question for you is if you could go back in time to your 20-year-old self, so this would be pre-ESPN, what three pieces of advice would you give yourself? Yeah, it would be pre-ESPN. It would also be pre Jesus for me. Uh, 20 years old, I was, I had just graduated college from my associate's degree. So I went to a community college. I did not go and continue on to my bachelor's for a couple of years. So I was working at Toys R Us, no joke, stocking shelves, and then got a job at a hospital in Albany, New York, Albany Medical Center. So I was not doing what I had hoped to do with my career, but I was 20. So I would say the first piece of advice would be to spend more time reading and writing, which again, two things at that time that I really didn't like. I like reading anything that was interesting to me. So I read obviously a ton of sports and was reading you know, newspapers like they were going out of style. But I would say spend more time reading things that aren't just sports. Sports isn't your God. So that's a big, there's, there's your advice. Sports does not have to be your God. Because um, I, th- I certainly treated it like it was in 1993, that's for sure. I would also say, you know, I I talked about spend more time writing, you know, you need to be a good writer to work in broadcasting. And I wish that I had spent more time in college and in my early younger years trying to be a better writer. So I think I would spend more time writing. And then I would lastly just say, it's, it's not all about you. And when we're 20 and when we're 18, that is hard advice to hear because everything revolves around us, whether I'm a Christian or not. I mean, I got an 18 year old daughter right now everything is revolving around her. And I get it. It's just part of being, she's one of the most selfless people I know, but she's also very much focused on herself, getting ready to go to college, getting ready to figure out her future. So it's important, I think, to think back now when I was 20, I was so consumed with Jason. My advice would be, and it probably would take me another 10 years to get that, that it's not all about you. You God has placed you on this earth for a purpose, on purpose, to help and serve others, just like Jesus. And so make it about others first. And that goes back to the uniform of leadership too. But at 20 years old, that's a very hard thing to fully implement into your life. But if I heard it at 20, maybe I would start to you know, work towards that as I got older. That is tough to implement when you're 20 years old, but really good advice. All right, last question for you here, Jason. What is your definition of an extraordinary man? An extraordinary man. It's funny, I was at an NFL broadcast boot camp for seven years, and this has nothing to do with the answer. It just has to do with the word extraordinary. And one of the ways, the lessons that they would teach these NFL players was to speak and use those words. I am an extraordinary person doing extraordinary things. So that word extraordinary was used quite a bit. I haven't heard it much since, if I'm being honest. But let's break it down to what the word stands for, extraordinary right? So I think being an extraordinary man is being anything but ordinary. You know, it's it's going out and it's ser- it's serving. It goes back to that. It goes to loving others. It goes to being really good at what you're doing, you know, working hard and doing the best that you can do at your job, uh, wherever that is, in your life. You know, if you're married and you have children, being extraordinary. You know, for me, an extraordinary man was simply being available because my dad wasn't that way with me. So to be an extraordinary man to my daughter and extraordinary dad is just to be available to her and be present in her life and show her 
uh, that I love her um, by being around her and showing how much I support her. So that's a lot of answers maybe to what you're looking for. But I think all of those come into play if you're going to stand out as an extraordinary man. Yeah, fantastic answer. I 100% agree. Uh, some really amazing qualities in there that you mentioned. Well, Jason, this has been awesome. Where can people go to connect with you, find out more about you if they want to buy your books? Yeah, they can go to my website, uh, jasonromano.com. It's probably the easiest way, but you know, the books are on Amazon and that's probably the easiest way that way to buy the books. But you know, if there was anybody who wanted to have me come and share or speak or um, you know, be on their podcast or just learn a little bit more about my journey, I would say my website or even social media, you know, Twitter and Instagram, I'm pretty active on and uh, can connect with people that way too. Awesome. Well, Jason, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Absolutely. Ryan, thanks for having me, buddy. Guys, thanks so much for joining me on another episode of the Extraordinary Man podcast. Here's the thing. You're never going to maximize your potential on your own. So I'm personally inviting you to come and join me in the private Extraordinary Man Facebook group so you can level up your business and your life. Just head over to Facebook and type Extraordinary Man into the search box and it will show up as the first result. Iron sharpens iron and this is the number one place for you to connect with me and other like-minded men who are on a mission to maximize their potential. My goal is to help you become the man God created you to be in all areas of your life. So come and join us in the Facebook group and upgrade your business and your life. I'll see you on the next episode.